as ever um, you can follow uh, and and like him on on LinkedIn and Twitter and he's obviously already given his his contact details there which is why I'm not going to start I'm going to start this again because I was really bullshit here we go <laughs> Hello and welcome to the PR Hub podcast. My name is Adam Tuckwell. And I'm John Wilcox. Welcome to another thrilling, exciting, invigorating and insightful episode of the pod, folks. Um, this week, we've got Michael M. Porfu, um, who is the head of communications at Disruptive Insurance Tech, Worry and Peace. But there is so much more to Michael uh, than uh, than that. His background is in political comms, which is fantastic because Adam and I Oh God, political comms. That's he's lived the dream ads. Let's not sugarcoat this. The reason why we wanted Michael on the podcast was because we really wanted to know what it was like working in government comms and political comms, especially. And so uh, it was great to hear about Michael's journey. Also, just to unpack his uh, his advice and his experience about being confident and just going for things and, and gaining your experience. The only way to get things is by asking for them. So I think there's 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 a lot that we can take from his career, but also how we then got on to talking about his his current experience and the issue we have with uh, with, with just communicating about brands, about politics, about uh, our honestness, honesty, and our openness. Um, so we speak to Michael for for an hour, and it passed in 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 seconds, and it? it was a really thrilling chat. Oh my god, yeah, wow, just just one of the easiest interviews I think we we've had on the pod so far talked him for hours on end um so don't be surprised if if michael turns up at the end of your uh, round table ads indeed well without further ado let's let's jump in and uh, and interview michael yeah well flip my background okay so i i, I think i've got a pretty crazy story and i think the more i tell it people go Man, you know, not everyone's story is like that, which is true. And, I, and I've previously been a little bit, uh, what's the word? I think a bit humble about it because, I don't know, whatever. So, so I, I, I was actually born and bred in Zimbabwe, um, in Bulawayo, in a little town called Bulawayo, well, city called Bulawayo. And so did my GCSE and my A-levels there, and that was awesome. And then moved to South Africa for uni where I wanted to actually study film, believe it or not. And, and uh, so I did a year of film and media, and that was awesome. That was exciting. It, 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 look, it was easy, right? Because it, it was stuff I was passionate about, so it was quite easy. And Well, I found it easy anyway. And um, kind of sec- second year into my, deg- into my uni career, I switched. But at the time, I was also doing kind of uni radio, writing for the uni paper, you know, submitting opinion pieces, because I always felt a sense of wanting to articulate something. I didn't know what it was. I just had a passion to say stuff, right? And so I thought, yeah, uni radio is the best place to do it. And the uni paper is a good, good, good vehicle for that. So I used to just, I remember submitting a piece back, back, and I'm not going to reveal my age, but back in my uni days when Twitter was just taking off in South Africa. And I remember writing a piece about how this is the future. We should all latch on to it. Can you believe you can share your opinion instantly? And, you know, now I look back, I think, jeepers, I should have written a piece saying ban this thing. But anyway, um, yeah, so 
kind of studied politics. That that's this is when the transition happens. I switched my degree for various reasons, but ended up studying majoring in politics and law. Hated law. I slept through. Well, I might as well have been sleeping through most of my law. <laughs> courses because it's just it's just it was just this i'm sure you're not the only law student who's done that oh man literally like oh pain the only law that i really enjoyed was constitutional law because in south africa that was quite a fresh concept and it was new well, only you know at the time 20 yeah. odd years into it so that was really nice everything else was you know but the politics side was intriguing to me because politics is really you know studied through the lens of history so that I enjoyed, that I aced, I, I literally just coasted through that, uh, and, you know, because I just had a natural affinity towards that. Fast forward, I was, I was a bit bullish and, and ballsy, if I can use that expression. Sorry if that offends anyone. But um, I, um, so I, I, I had a mutual friend. who No, 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 we're pop. fine with that. That's cool. <laughs> That's good to know. That's good to know. But um, I had a mutual friend, uh, an acquaintance who worked for for a department in Parliament, and I kind of just said to her, "Look, I really would like a job doing something. I don't know what." So I just printed out a bunch of CVs and I and I went to this to Parliament, the South African Parliament, and my friend just walks me through these these hallways, and right on the door is a sign that says, "Political Editor." And I was like, yeah, that sounds pretty important. Knocked on the door and I was like, yo, I'd like a job. And she was like, mate, what's going on here? I was like, I really want a job. She's like, do you have an appointment? I was like, no, here's my CV. And she was like, okay, you've done radio. I see you write for the uni paper. Okay, you studied, uh, you studied at UCT. Oh, heck, my husband teaches that course, which is pretty cool. Um, and she's like, well, cool, come next Tuesday. And then that's how I had the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's, that was my journey in, you know, the baptism into kind of political journalism, which is beautiful because what happened was I, I skipped the queue, didn't I? I skipped the queue because I had firsthand training from one of the best political editors in the country. And she and a whole bunch of senior journalists took me under their wing, trained me. And, you know, six months into the gig, she says, you know, you've come far leaps and bounds. And then at the end of the year, we find, you know, each other at this place where we're negotiating contracts. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. But that was my background, you know. That's that's when I, I think the bug caught. I really want to be a good communicator. Then the official opposition, basically, uh, someone just planted the idea. Have you ever thought about comms, political comms? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And the official opposition made the, well, asked me to apply for a role, a comms role, basically advising MPs uh, on media and, and policy stuff. I applied, I got it. And then I crossed the dark line, you know, from official opposition, worked on the national election campaign, which was iconic. That was probably the highlight, I think, of my career. Just incredible. Adrenaline inducing, sleepless nights, but fulfilling. If I could do it, I'd do it every year. Um, had no life. Uh, <laughs> but, but it was epic, right? It was epic. And then after the election, got, got a role promoted, really to be the spokesperson in regional government, which was run by the official government for, for the premier of the province. That was my, in a very short journey, my background and how I got into this, to the craft. And, and I'm so grateful for it. And I really wish, you know, I, I could get as many people to experience that feeling. Um, 
But I, yeah, but I think in many ways, you know, I've, I was privileged. You know, this kid who comes from a really rubbish country, uh, and when I say rubbish country, I mean the, the, the economy, the government is just, you know, horrendous. The people are beautiful. Uh, who shouldn't be, <laughs> who shouldn't be working with the most powerful lady in the province uh, in another country, you know, but it just happened. And, and so I was, I was really blessed, man. It sounds, it sounds, Michael, that, you know, you, you talk about it being a blessing and you talk about being incredibly fortunate, but it sounds like you have, you have put yourself in that position. So you've gone out there, you've studied, you've worked, you've trained, you did student radio, you did student journalism, and then you, you know, it may have been because your mate was sort of cajoling you, but you, you went in there and uh, asked right. for a job. So you, you must have a certain degree of, um, of self-confidence of, you know, just, um, yeah. or, or don't know, self-belief that you're going to try and make something work and you're going to sort of grab it by the horns. Yeah, Adam, I, I mate, I think that's a very good, 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 point you know like i said earlier i'm probably a bit i try and shy away from the oh look how awesome because you're right you know <laughs> the work didn't do itself right <laughs> so um like I, I had to show up and and put in a shift um but i also think ironically one of my greatest advantages was my ability to be vulnerable in what i couldn't do so so, you know, that's one quality my wife always says. I suppose she says it because she's married to me, so she has to. But she says it's one quality she's fascinated by me. <laughs> right? She's fascinated by this idea that I, I am not shy to say when I don't know. So I always use this example. Like, I have friends who are good at everything I'm not. And maybe, <laughs> maybe they're not friends. Maybe I'm just using I don't know. But, but I do, right? I have a friend who's brilliant with money, right? Brilliant with money and investments. And, and he's the guy I turn to for all my financial advice, without a doubt. And I literally just mirror whatever he does uh, because I know he's just a sound guy. And I also have friends who are brilliant with, like, fitness stuff. So I just turn to them when I'm like, mate, I'm fat. Help me out. So I, th I think that helped me at <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that that helped me in my career as well, Adam, because, you know, people took a risk on me, but I wasn't going in there with this, I know everything. I was going in there with this, hey, please teach me and whatever you say, I'll do. And unfortunately, I don't think there are enough people and people coming through saying that uh, because we are maybe forced to project an element of my CV's great. I've done all these things. But imagine a world where, like, someone says on their CV, look, I applied for this job. I know I can't do it, but I have the best attitude in the world. Like, as a hiring manager, that has to count for something, right? Um, but maybe I'm naive, so I'm rambling. Forgive me. I love, no, I, I love that. I actually think, <clears throat> you know, for the second half of the podcast, we should just speak to your wife about you. I think that might be really helpful. <laughs> <laughs> she's out, which is a good thing. Yeah, she's out. So. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah we can wait we can wait um, <laughs> so um in michael in the last few episodes we we've spoken to people who have done comms for uh for sort of festivals we've spoken to people who have done comms for sport um tell us about 
what it's like doing comms for 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 for, for politics uh, and for politicians. What what is that like? What is the nature of it like? You talk about that buzz of an election campaign, and you know, it's it's probably like a hit, isn't it? You're talking about the fact that I'd love to do it every year if I could, but it, I imagine you'd never sleep. You know, talk talk to us about what it's what it's what it's like. What did what did a day look like? What did the role look like? And and how did you develop in such a fast paced environment? That's a that's a brilliant uh, question, Adam. I I think firstly it's addictive. Right, I think once a political animal, always a political animal. So there'll be people who have worked in politics and leave, and they look back and think, "God, thank, thank God, I'm, I'm out of that. That was toxic." Blah 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 blah. And I get it because if you're not a political animal, it can feel like that. For me, it was adrenaline-inducing because think about it: you're in the proximity of where decisions are made. But at the same time, you are seeing them outworked practically. In the South African context, it's even more enhanced because, you know, their projects, schools, hospitals, uh, business initiatives, uh, tourism initiatives, like I've been at the you know, genesis of these things conceptually, my boss and I and the team and a whole department working through the, the practicalities of this thing to seeing it approved, you know, through some bill in parliament, to seeing it rolled out. And then three years later, we go, oh, wow, there are three, four hundred, five hundred kids going to that school. That's addictive. That kind of change, that kind of ability to, to be at the forefront of change is addictive. And I think, I don't think I've ever recovered from that addiction. I, I think that's why I spend a lot of my free time reading political content, whether it's American, whether it's South African, whether it's British, especially if it's British. Um, but, but, but a typical day, I suppose, is what I loved about, you know, the way a typical day unfolded was it was very unpredictable, right? You obviously had a plan, okay? So today we're going to go cut four ribbons, give a speech there, and meet with that minister, and I'm, I might, as, you know, the spokesperson have a meeting scheduled with a journalist or an editor. Great. But you don't predict when a crisis is going to drop. You don't know when a, a, an MP or a minister is going to speak out of turn and now all of a sudden the Premier's office is called in to, you know, to bat for the team. Uh, so so I, loved, I loved the unpredictability of it. And I think that was the adrenaline I was addicted to. It was this idea that, you know, you're walking in, but today <laughs> you're playing Russian roulette, basically. And uh, today, you're, you, you know, you might, you know, come home and <laughs> have been on the radio because you were fighting your opponents um, or claiming a victory, right? So it, it was this mix. And I think for someone with a lot of energy like myself, I needed somewhere to expend that. And I just really loved what I really loved. And Helen, if you're listening, I really appreciate this about you. She didn't try to curb my passion and my desire, my enthusiasm. If anything, she just fueled my crazy and, and channeled it in, in ways that she could use to, to her advantage, um, <laughs> which, which is, is a mark of a great leader. And I think, in my view, she's probably one of the best politicians to live in South Africa. That's my view, ever. I love that phrase, they channel my crazy. Um, so, so, Michael, how, how did you then, um, you know, uh, 
make a decision that that was something that you didn't want to do forever and 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 what happened after doing that so it, i don't think it was a case of i didn't want to do it forever i think it was a case of weighing up and that's such a good very good question because i've had time as everyone has <laughs> during lockdown right to do a lot of introspection because you know we've had nothing else to do but be at home uh, <laughs> but but uh, I, you know, looking back, I don't think it was a case of not wanting to do it forever. I, it was a case of weighing up what I wanted in terms of life experience as well. I, I think I'd looked around me and seen, and, and you know, credit to people who are in, who've been in that space for X amount of years, but I'd looked around me and, and spoken and seen people who'd potentially been in a groove and been very comfortable with that groove and never really done anything other than that. Um, and, I, and I think there was always an itch within me to prove that I could thrive and survive in different contexts. And so speaking to the wife, as one does, uh, we, we made a call and a decision that, you, you know, we were relatively young at the time. I mean, we, we'd been married for just about a year and a half or something like that. And we, we made this decision that we're young enough to take a risk. And, and we're young enough to explore. We're young enough to go and find experience. I have no doubt, and maybe this is a bit bullish of me to say, I have no doubt if we wanted to go back, I could find something to do in the political space. Do you know what I mean? I could find something. I could contribute in some ways to the party or whatever, uh, whether that is a branch level or... But life experience and time is something that you just don't have the luxury of. So we made that call, Adam, and, and decided let's take the leap and go immerse ourselves in a different environment. And that resignation was painful for me because it was like I was leaving, you know, something I love dearly. And, and you know, I still think about very fondly. So that's why we, we, we got on a plane and came to the United Kingdom. Wow. I, and and, and that, that is a, a heck of a decision to make as well. It's, I mean... I think, um, you know, obviously some people do move to different countries to go to university as you did from Zimbabwe to South Africa. But it's another thing to actually traverse hemispheres as well. Um, and, uh, you know, quite a brave and courageous move for, for, for the both of you to make that decision. Um, how, uh, when was that? That was about seven or eight years ago, am I correct in thinking? When we did what? When we came over? A move from South Africa to the UK, yeah. Oh no, that was like it's going to be three years in August, so like fresh. Okay, okay, so so right, okay, so great. So, how how did you sort of find that sort of initial um, uh, shift in culture? You you you're, you're not working in political comms in the UK, um, I suspect yet. I'm sure that if it's something, uh, give it a couple of years. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, worry and peace will have to worry about losing you to a political party. <laughs> <laughs> to work on political comms, I'm sure. How have you found um, <laughs> the difference in, in comms um, uh, between um, the sort of, well, two things, uh, moving from um, political comms to um, uh, co you know, commercial sort of uh, comms and, and also then working, uh, well, I guess, you, I, I guess you can say you're working in-house for the party as well, but uh, certainly from a, a, an in-house corporate um how has that sort of cultural shift been for you and what have you sort of brought with you uh, um from your 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 political um 
uh, comms experience? Yeah, John, you guys are flipping great questions, man. Jeepers. Some, you should start a podcast. Um, I think <laughs> that was an awful joke. <laughs> We're looking into it. Stop flattering. <laughs> that was an awful joke. Forgive me. Um, I promise I'll try not We'll to leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I promise I'd try not to make terrible jokes. Uh, forgive me. That was a dad joke. Oh my god, I am becoming my. You're father. doing well. No, you're doing well. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, what was the question? Something about. This? Oh yes, yes. So how have I brought that over? Um, <laughs> I don't know, but it was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no I've, I've got it. I've got it. So, so how did I? transition like that you know what john this is an interesting point and forgive me jeepers i haven't asked people for permission to share these stories so i hope i don't get in trouble anyway i told my boss i said to helen look i'm leaving um blah 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 and i gave her the whole spiel that i just gave you and she said you look fair play you know do whatever you you feel you know we support you she she genuinely loved me mate like i think so we still talk so we've got a very good relationship I, I think, and I'm just, this is my feeling, okay? So please don't shoot me. I, I think as a young, maybe not so young, but as a confident black guy, and I'm not, I hope I get this right, okay? So don't, I'm going to slow down to try and get this nuance right. Because nuance is important. I don't think people necessarily don't appreciate fully my what you know what I can bring to the to the sector or the craft I think there's a case of not being or fully understanding my context and where I come from and therefore or, or just simple things like my confidence you know I've had a few people comment on just how wow you're quite confident and, and I'm like well yeah you, you know as opposed to what and I think that just that, that's one, yeah, you know, one side of my journey. And look, that was a very clumsy response. And I think you can figure out why. Because I am trying to be careful and mindful and thoughtful. But I think, you know, I've brought this element of my ability to be confident in an environment, in a setting. I think I can't shake that. No matter how hard I try, I can't shake that. It's who I am. So I've brought that with me. But it's also a tenacity and a res resilience. Political comms is about, you know, a ton of resilience. You've got to be tenacious you've got to be determined you've got to be quite quite you know dog with a bone about whatever you're trying to put out there in, in your messaging so that that side i've never left the difficult bit i found with british comms is and it's not even just in articulating a message it's in engaging with people and you know brits have this thing where they say something and they don't mean it so and i and i found that to be a bit strange when i first got to it yeah. I don't know if you know what I mean. Like, so let, let me give you an example. Yeah. So let's just take a random yeah. example. I'll say, oh, John. So like I was meeting people for the first time. My wife and I were making friends and they would say things like, oh, you're from South Africa. Oh, awesome. Hey, we should totally go for a drink sometime. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Yeah. When? We're quite free. Like when, when works for you? And then people would be like, oh, okay. <laughs> You, you, you want to get that in the diary? And I'm like, yeah, you said we should. So, because we're very direct. Um, and I find that a very strange thing here. So even when Boris speaks, it takes me, it took me a while to be like, dude, just say what you want to say. Why, why aren't you just saying it? You know? And I think, I'm, I, I, ironically, that, that, that 
for me, doesn't make sense as a communicator <laughs> because your job is to articulate. But if you're not articulating what you mean, it's this game of chess. It's this game of, you know, cat and mouse. And, I, and ironically, I also think that's why political comms in this country is probably ready for a shakeup. You know, because they're all trying to be very polite and not telling us what they actually mean. Uh, that's my view. Sorry about that. I think I think you're 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 I think you're absolutely correct. I think I think people are fed up with with politicians not answering questions and not saying what they mean. And I think that you know you you cite in uh, the, the the PM there at the moment. And let's face it, he speaks half the time in metaphor and and and, <laughs> yeah. and, and Latin. I mean, you know, he, he's not he's not exactly he's not exactly an everyman, is he? You know, no. exactly. <laughs> but but I th- I think it's, I think it's really interesting what you said there about. Um, um, uh, Helen um, saying you'll get bored and I, I can totally get that because you've mentioned that adrenaline that day after day that thirst and everything like that and there's going to be very few um, comm sectors that, that's going to be at that sort of pace day in day out with, with quite high stakes as well yeah John you're, you're right you're spot on it, it, there are very few sectors like that with quite high stakes and and adjusting to that is 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 been something super interesting for me and it's also been something interesting from a wavelength perspective and when i say wavelength i mean you realize that you've you've gone from if i can borrow this you know you've gone from thinking at a different level of troubleshooting which isn't really obsessed with kind of not the minutia but the the yeah, perhaps the word is minutia. The, 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 I know more intricate details of the how, and you know, which is a high strategic level mm-hmm. to realizing yeah. actually most of real life happens at this level. <laughs> what I was experiencing wasn't actually real life in that regard, because you know our job was to say, well, look, strategically, how do we position our our political principle? How do we position? her in terms of the way she writes and the way she comes across. And look, you know, do not, don't always get it right. You, you learn and et cetera. But that was a different way of operating. And now I'm finding myself, uh, well, you know, in the initial transition moving to the UK, found myself in a space where I'm having to not dial it down, but kind of readjust to thinking at where the real life kind of, you know, discourse happens and, uh, where people really engage. Yeah, so that, that was pretty tough, John, I won't lie. And I think I probably have 10% of me every day that tries to remind myself that it's a different scene. I think for, for me what's really interesting is, that, and correct me if I'm wrong, like the metaphor that I'm getting is almost comparable to like professional sports people when they retire and they sort of re-enter <laughs> normal life and, and they've been I'm living that this high bro. profile. Like, Come like, on! Like, you know, you know that they... That, no, I know. I know. <laughs> no, but you know, when, 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 like, you know, um, you know, diamond level, you know, professional athletes retire, they, 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 they kind of miss that sort of daily adrenaline. Where you know, if you're playing, you know, football or whatever, you're, you're missing that week in, week out. You know, two or three games a a, a week uh, or, or whatever, and and that's almost chasing that high almost. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, John, I think that's lovely. I think you've just referred to Michael as like a, an A-list sports star. I think you now need we now need Michael's <laughs> wife to come and just put his feet firmly back on the ground again. Uh, <laughs> I'll take it, Michael. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, Michael. Um, when you moved to the UK, 
where did you where did you live? Are you in London or or somewhere so else? So we're I'm I'm in Nottingham at the moment. Uh, yeah. Oh, John works in Nottingham. You know. I did not know that. It's crazy days. Is is Nottingham where Worry and Peace are based, or is that is that a remote uh, a remote working business? Yeah. So so Worry and Peace were fully remote, which is which is pretty cool. Uh, so we've got some team uh, members in. Well, I don't know if I can say where they are, but yeah, we're fully remote. <laughs> Just don't want to expose people's postcodes. Like, oh, well, the one guy. Yeah, <laughs> we're fully, we're fully, we're fully remote. We don't want to, we don't want people's, don't want people's street address. So, so tell us about, tell us about that business. Tell us what you do. What attracted you to it? Yeah. So, so Warren Peace is actually an interesting story because uh, it was it was mid pandemic, and I was basically pivoting. Uh, you know, and and a, a very long story. A mute, a friend, a friend of mine who also is in in comms. She she now works for for an agency. Uh, basically, had my CV and it landed in the lap of the, of my founder. And I was in the in a in the car waiting for my wife. She was in the shops, and uh, my phone rings, and it's this number that I, you know, and it says hi. My name is James. You don't know me, and I'm the founder of a of a of a of an insure tech called Warrior Peace. And basically, like, talked to this dude for half an hour, and he was just kind of basically you could hear you know his passion just oozing through, um, you know, just the, the phone call. And and that's the one thing I'll say about you know what initially drew, drew me to the team was just. You know, speak to the founder for half an hour and you can see he lives this thing, right? I thought, Jesus, bro, like, <laughs> you know, do you sleep? Uh, because he, he just had as much energy and as much passion about the mission. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so, so that's how I, I you know, and he said, look, think about it, but would love to have you on team. Let's keep talking. And after a week and a half or about a couple of weeks of back and forth, we, we, we came to an agreement and, you know, I, I joined the team. Um, but basically, what we're trying to do at Worry and Peace is solve the insurance conundrum, uh, and and not just by selling it or, or you know, introducing some gimmicky piece of tech. No, we're actually building a new kind of marketplace. So we're trying to put the whole sector under one roof, uh, and not really sell it. We're just trying to facilitate it, and 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 the and the driving force behind that is that we want people to be able to think, I need insurance. Oh, cool. You know, let me worry and piece it, and and that whole idea is is, is predicated on around the, the the idea that, you know, you often hear and see, you know, insurance companies selling you, buy 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 real quick, it's fast, it's easy, get a quote in ten seconds, cool. But like ninety nine point nine percent of the time, you don't hear insurance companies actually telling you how the product works when it matters most, i.e., when you need to claim. Which is a weird thing. Insurance is one of the only products I know that you're asked to review for buying it. I can't walk to Bru- go to Brewdog and say, I'd like a case of, you know, these beers. Oh, and by the way, let me leave a review because you <laughs> sold them to me. No, I need to drink them and then go, oh yeah, this works, right? And so yeah. that's, it's, you know, <laughs> well, Adam is laughing, but think about it. We do it all the time with buying insurance. So basically, the marketplace is going to be driven by reviews and, and, and people basically saying, you know, this has been my experience with the product. And, and instead of just looking at price, we want you to be able to say, 
wow, the price was okay, the price was average, but the product works. Here's a bunch of reviews that prove it, and here's, a, here's an experience that proves it. And we're really hoping that uh, we can ignite the marketplace. But so far, so good. I mean, like you said, John, earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm only about mm. seven months into mm. the gig. So it's early doors and, and we've got some exciting things in the pipeline. I love that idea. Uh, I think the whole insurance market is exceptionally strange. The aggregator market has just pushed it all to be about price. Um, probably not for the pod because it's not very interesting, but my car was stolen about three years ago. And um, I just changed car insurance providers to direct line. And um, for some reason, I hadn't sent them like the right number of no claims years. I was like two or three years out or something. And they sent me a letter, but we'd gone away on holiday. And so I didn't get the letter. And then when we got back, the car was stolen the night we got back. Um, and so I phoned direct line and said, oh, my car's been stolen. And then my wife walks in with a letter and she says, I've just found this from direct line. They're saying they're not going to insure you. And so I spoke to the lady and she was like, oh, I, I, she said, oh, okay, so you've got, your car's been stolen and you've got this letter. Let's pretend you haven't told me the first thing and let's just work on the second. And so she sorts my insurance and then she says, oh, and I hear your car's been stolen. And so she did it like that. Now, I, I will tell everybody in the world that I've had that amazing experience with with direct line and and previous and previously i've always insured with whoever the cheapest is you know whatever it is dot com but if my car had been stolen with them i probably would have gotten no money back right so i think that idea about disrupting the market is is really is amazing but it also needs to be communicated to the world where actually they're really big players aren't they so there are huge businesses that are in this world so it's a it it's a tech disruptor for uh, a sort of a grudge purchase because everyone needs insurance but no one wants to pay for it because i i don't want to ever use it do you see what i mean i think it's really interesting ironically you know one of the things we were laughing about in the team is we all hate buying it right but but we need to do it and and that's why i think you know james our founder had this <laughs> had this desire to like okay i need to let, let's solve this problem and you're right in saying the sector is really driven by giants, right? And and so there's a there's a it's like trying to turn the Titanic. You're up against some big names who are, I don't think they're averse to something new. It's just the humanity of the fear of the unknown, right? So when you don't know what something is and you've never experienced it, you tend to be a little bit more hesitant. And I get that, and I and we appreciate that. So you know, we're trying our best because the marketplace is a two-sided thing. We're trying our best to take both sides on the journey, you know, big insurance providers that, hey, look, it's possible to do things differently and still make your millions, but still communicate how amazing you're doing for the people that are using your product. Um, and I've met some really cool, cool, uh, you know, insurance providers just in this short space of time. And actually, ironically, changed some of my policies because I'm like, I just didn't know what the heck I was buying. But now that I'm studying all this thing, uh, you know, this, this, this process and the distribution chain and how it all works, I'm able to make a better, better informed decision. So we're hoping to really, really push things forward. And, and you know, heck, if you, if you boys want to invest, I'm just saying, 
We'll, we'll take your angel investment. We're happy. We're happy to take the millions off you. Perfect. Well, Adam's got a few million stuffed underneath the mattress. Uh, so I, I, you know, I, I, I don't. But it does. It's a facet. Like disrupt, disruptive tech. Absolutely all in on that. Tell you one of the things that really I want to ask you about is um, I noticed that uh, as I said earlier on, you know, naturally did the research. I LinkedIn stalked you. Um, was that you have a uh, certificate? A certificate in strategic digital marketing um, from uh, from from in Cape Town. Um, I'd be really fascinated to know how you combine that uh, that um, um, uh, education uh, combined with your with your comms uh, experience as well, because you know it it, it kind of. Uh, crosses the broader Marcoms divide a little bit. You're not a, a market. It's, that's not a marketing uh, background. It's not a, a comms background. You've, you've you've kind of sort of unified the two. So you're like the ultimate uh, Marcoms guy. So can you talk about how how you sort of combine um, those sorts of disciplines? I suppose in in your everyday work. It's a good question, John. I I think you know. In fact, I did that that course while I was in political comms because I felt the need to. Get that, get that experience and that just that knowledge under my belt. You know, when you're in, in politics, you are you in many ways have to be a jack of all trades for good reasons, right? You've got to be a good PR guy, got to have a great rapport with journalists and editors. You know, take mm. them to coffees and etc. Um, and luckily, I think when I dealt with the, with with with, you know, with some of my journalists colleagues, I had been in the newsroom, so a lot of them knew me. So there was this kind of collegial vibe going but you've got to be a PR guy you've also got to be kind of this marketer in a sense you're right because ultimately you're trying to make sure you market the government the brand uh, or, or the party or the policy in a good way so I, I did that with the view to, to try and really get into the brains of this digital space that we're in and I think that's just only served me well one of the things that I, I found very intriguing about uh, the digital marketing space is that it's actually not even about digital or the tech. It's just about trying to understand human behavior a lot more. You know, uh, one of the things that the pandemic has shown us, um, in my view anyway, is not that we need more tech um, or it's not even that, oh, we've got enough tech to like connect via Zoom and work remotely. No, it's just... It's shown us that you, human beings ironically gravitate towards their tribes, right? So in lockdown, instead of trying to go out there and find new friends, what were people doing? Downloading house party for whenever it was a thing, downloading uh, you know, clubhouse or whatever, just to be in the same tribe and space with the friends of people that, that shared their view or agreed with their view. And you know, so, so for me, ironically, I think digital marketing was, isn't really about digital. It's just a lot more about, okay, cool. So what are the human behavior patterns and, and how, how do you tap into those? That's, that's how newspapers work right now, right? What's a human behavior? What's a clickbait? Because human behavior is clickbait. What's human behavior? I'm nosy. Yeah, if I see a headline that says Demi Lovato, blah, 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 I'm going to click on that, <laughs> right? It, it's just yeah. tapping into that sense. Um, so, so that's really helped me and it, yeah. it, it, it's just gone on to serve me, even in my role. It, it, we're trying to kind of pitch this new concept to the world. Yeah, no, that's really fascinating because I, I guess my sort of follow-up to that is how important do you feel it is to understand um, adjacent disciplines to, to 
core comms, core PR, you know, digital marketing or um, social media um, uh, expertise uh, or community management, for instance? How important is it to you that uh, for, do, you, do you think that it is uh, for, for PR pros to uh, understand at the very least have a, have a, have a, a foundational understanding of adjacent disciplines? Yeah, no, John, you know, it's great. I think, look, I, I'd always try not be too prescriptive, not because, you know, I'm all knowing or anything, but I do think, you know, some people work differently. So if you're a phenomenal PR manager, uh, I, I listened to one, one of your episodes when you had uh, um, the, the, the PR lead for, for Costa, the other, the other, I think it was a couple mm -hmm. of episodes back or three episodes back. Yeah. That was an excellent episode. Uh, because w w what what was clear there was was that you know yeah be great at understanding your craft your your specialized craft but at the same time do your best to understand how supply chain works right do your best to understand how the finance guy ticks do your best to understand how the the, the sales people tick and i think you're never going to not uh, uh, you're never going to regret understanding these adjacent disciplines uh, but I do think don't feel the pressure or we shouldn't yeah. feel the pressure of being, of understanding them all and being excellent at them all. Because some people are just more strategic, right? Some people just understand tone and voice a lot better. Some people ironically understand the adjacent disciplines a lot better. It's not an either or. It's just a case of tap into your strength and where you are weak, then get the help you do. Obviously, you know, does it help to know how the engine, you know, combusts and, and works Yes, because uh, one day you might need to change the oil yourself. But is it detrimental to your career? No. Uh, I, I think, you know, for comms people, we, sh we should be at the very forefront of being at least open-minded about, you know, how you carve up the, 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 you know, the turkey. <laughs> I don't know where that analogy came from. <laughs> so, Michael, let's move on from carving a turkey. I really like it. <laughs> don't worry. Um, if you're you're working in insurer tech now, you you want to disrupt um, the insurance market to, to 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 shake up what is a tired, state and traditional market to to do things differently. Um, would you describe the comms sector as tired and stayed and in need of shaking up? Do you think as a as an industry, PR or comms is I don't know, at risk of being left behind as marketing embraces new technologies, evolves, develops? I, do, what do you I, think? I just think, Adam, it's such a good point. You know, I, I did a, I was on a panel for uh, the PRCA on, on a clubhouse a few weeks ago with a few other geniuses. You know, we had a journalist from the BBC. I think it was Ed something. I can't remember. Forgive me if you're listening. Uh, and, and there was a report that the, this, this, this agency had commissioned, I think, in collaboration with the PRCA on their learnings from the pandemic. And, you know, there were key, five key findings in, in those learnings. And, and the intriguing thing for me was not so much the learnings, but the intriguing thing for me was that it took a pandemic to teach comms professionals things that we should no, as basic human instinct, right? Like, and I think for me, my frustration isn't that the comms sector is going to be left behind. 
uh, or, or communicators are going to be left behind or are tired or stale. I just think my biggest fear is the cookie-cutter model that teaches kids... Oh, sorry, kids. Well, yeah, let me say kids because I am an old man. Uh, that teaches kids who are leaving uni and, and you know, aspire to these careers that this is how you do it. This is how your website should look. This is how you run a campaign. This is how you... Yeah, great. But, but I think there's this fear of engaging with new ideas in ways that aren't perhaps embraced in the kind of traditional space and sometimes there's this you know we, we talk about oh we need to embrace all voices and great leaders allow for all these ideas but if you look at a lot of company websites and and a lot of company campaigns i have i'm yet to see something outside of war and peace obviously but like that really really blows my mind in a way that is just fresh and original for a long time. I just feel like there's someone out there with a template, a Squarespace template, that's going, guys, this is the money-making machine. Now let's yeah. churn them out quick as we can. You know, how many agencies do you hear that go, we tailor, we, we, you know, we make our plan bespoke to your da-da-da. And then you, you chat to the agency and like, guys, you haven't even listened to a single thing I've said because you've just gone to, you know, another campaign and repurposed it for this one. <laughs> Which is fine because it's clearly making money, but my fear is we're just going to be forced into this cookie cutter model of thinking, and then there's no space for the quote unquote free thinkers. And for comms people, I think that's pretty narrow. So that's my fear, anyway. What are you going to do to focus? What are you going to focus on in your career? To you know, what skills do you need? What are you going to do to future proof for you? What What do you think your you know, if you look at your skill set, you think, actually, I'm not that great at this and I know it's going to be really important. So it's super yeah, important that I get myself That's such a good question. I, I, one of the things I've, I've gotten back to doing in the last 10 months or so is, is reading more. And when I say reading more, I mean just quality. So, for example, I've, you know, I've done the kind of taken out a Bloomberg subscription, you know, and, and forced myself to read no offense to anyone else listening, yeah. but force myself to read quality journalism and, you know, say what you will. Bloomberg do an excellent job. Uh, so I'm forcing myself to read more quality content. Uh, in fact, content is not the word. Just work. Quality work. So whether that's journalistic, whether that's investigative, whether that yeah. is yeah. books. I've been reading a ton of books. So that side of I'm really proud of just... That discipline, you know, I take an evening and I read a half, you know, half an hour or an hour or two hours. I'm really proud of that because I think it leads to the next thing where I know I have let it suffer. I, I need to write a lot more, Adam, uh, because I think as someone who's a communicator, writing is, is and should be something that you're continuously honing in your craft. My only, my biggest issue with not writing a lot, quite honestly, is... Uh, my fear, right? Um, because you, you know, people always talk about, oh yeah, you know, as a musician, you need to be vulnerable. You know, every song is just like you're putting yourself out there, man. So like, this is my heart. But 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 people don't appreciate that. <laughs> don't appreciate that as a comms expert. Whatever you <laughs> work, you're putting out. You've put your heart into that as well. So there's a fear of rejection, right? And a fear of like. You know, I was saying to my brother who, who is in Cape Town, I, I don't want to write and put something out there and get judged for it. 
that's not work related. But I, but I definitely think I need to write because that's future proofing myself. I need to write, put my thoughts down to paper. And I, at some point, maybe should start a podcast. I don't know. I've been toying with the idea, but, you know, someone said to me, if you're going to do something, do it well. And I don't know if I could do that well. I don't know if I'm interesting enough. And, and that's another fear. So I need to get over myself, but I would say writing more is the one thing I need to really, really embrace. Well, first of all, I would say don't worry about starting a podcast about what other people will think or, where, or anything like that. We started it as just a, as a means to keep in touch, and that's the and that's the honest uh, that's the honest truth. Because uh, despite only being about um, forty miles apart, you know, life gets in the way, and we wanted to carry on making sure that uh, we remain friends. It's easy to sort of because Adam and I used to work together, um, and it's easy to sort of say, oh yeah, you know, okay, well, best of luck, you know, yeah, of course, we'll keep in touch and blah blah blah. And you don't speak to somebody for the next five years. You boys, uh, you, you do the British thing, right? Yeah, we'll stay in touch, mate. Yeah, we'll go. We'll go down pub. Yeah, we'll go down pub. Never. Come on, guys. Invite me. Invite me down pub. Come on. Sorry if I just butchered the English. Exactly. We'll, 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 we'll go to pub. Exactly. That was great. That was a fantastic Yorkshire accent. It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I mean, I can't do a Yorkshire accent in my life. Um, but, um, but uh, you know, and, that, and that's, how, that's how PR Hub um, sort of started off. First as a networking thing and then, and then into the pod, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. My my advice, Michael, is is stick to writing because I sort of feel that <laughs> I've got this podcast. I knew you were going to say that. And we don't we don't we don't really want we don't really want new players. We don't we don't we don't, we don't want new players with their enthusiasm coming into the market. Fair play, you know? look, fair play. I'll stay away. I'll stay yeah. away, Adam. You've got me there, mate. You've got me there. It's good to give it's good to give you a platform. Um, wonderful. Um, the the final thing. Um, the final thing that I wanted to talk to you about, so you talk about writing and you talk about um, reading and, 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 and studying and growing and things like that. How important do you think it is that you have a voice within the, the sector as well? So you talked about speaking at events, you talked about the PRCA. So are you a member of the PRCA or the CIPR? On, do you, do you engage on, with um, conferences, oh. events and stuff like that? Do you Don't see that as an important... Don't ask me membership questions. Okay, look, I should be. <laughs> I should be. <laughs> I should be. Let me say full disclosure. Shout out to to, to Corey, who's the director of the PRCA. Uh, he's a cool dude. Uh, uh, if you chaps know him, he's a really really good man. Love that guy. So yeah. shout out to him. Yeah, he's going. He's going hungry though because people aren't paying their subs. This is, oh, <laughs> thanks, mate. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Adam. I feel great after that comment. <laughs> Corey, if you're listening, forgive me. Okay. Forgive me. I'm from Africa, Corey. Come on. That has to come for something. Um, I don't know what that even means. What does that mean? Just pay yourself. Um, look, you're, you're... Michael, uh, I'm... Oh, sorry. Go on, Ed. I'm not a member of the PRCA either, so don't, don't, don't worry. I'm... I, I feel I feel as bad. Um... Oh, okay, cool. Okay, cool. So, sorry. Back to my point. Back back to my point, Michael. It It is important. It's important for you to do uh to, to 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 talk and do events that's that's an opportunity for you to platform your skills but also learn and develop yeah totally yeah? oh no yeah spot on i mean look um quick plug the prca's conference <laughs> is coming up it's the first their first live event on on july the 8th and and i'm on a panel uh one of their panels which i'm excited about uh, next to rory sutherland uh, and a couple other people which is wow yeah, it's an honor. Huge wow honor. huge huge honor i'm not even going to downplay it I, i'm going to try and not fangirl here but i'm <laughs> definitely going to but huge honor right to, to be a part of that 
but having said that, you're spo- it's just it's a case of iron sharpening iron, isn't it? Being around like-minded people, and you know, uh, Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know Dave Chappelle, the comedian. He talks about when he, when he was receiving the Mark Twain Award. I think that was last year, or the oh no, the year before, uh, if I'm not mistaken. He talks about how, you know, he can gab with the best of them, right? He 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 may not be able to physically fight but he can gab with the best of them. And I think it's the same for people in our, our sector, right? We should be able to hang out and, and uh, immerse ourselves in our craft, maybe, you know, have a bit of a moan and a whinge about what's working and what isn't and things that are failing. And thank God things are lifting so we can, you know, meet in person again. Um, so definitely. And I probably should do a lot more of that, Adam. So thank you for chastising me. I think I need to get out of my bubble and and really engage yeah <laughs> and sorry about that Corey. I, I will join i promise i i'm just really keen to to meet you for a beer before you definitely. get famous that's oh, all. definitely and, and and i just want to hear more uh, political um comms uh stories as well so <laughs> let's definitely do that beer and unlike some brits we actually mean it as well oh well i will i will hold you to that Please point because uh, i because <laughs> i don't do well to i mean oh, michael yeah. it's it, <laughs> It's only because it's only because you live close, right? So we're not, you know. <laughs> That's brilliant. Amazing, amazing. He's so cheeky, this one, John. Why do you keep up with? You put I up ask with myself it? the same question. I'm sure Mrs. Tuckwell asks the same question as well. Right. <laughs> my wife keeps me grounded. She keeps my feet on the ground. <laughs> Michael, um, we've been talking for an hour. You have given us uh, so much, so much content. Thank you. Um, if people want to uh, follow you and connect with you and find out more of your wisdom or find out where you're speaking so they can listen to Rory Sutherland instead, where should they find you online and what's the best place for people to connect yeah, with you? Yeah, well, I'm, I do the whole online thing, right? So I'm on Twitter. It's at Michael Mpofu, and that's spelled M-P-O-F-U. Uh, Michael is spelled Michael, uh, or on LinkedIn as well, Michael Mpofu. <laughs> Uh, or on Instagram. Instagram, I tend to just post pictures of coffee and and running, so that's not going to fascinate <laughs> you at all. But otherwise, Twitter for some of my thoughts, LinkedIn for whatever, and let's hang out. Yeah, and and please, everyone, hold me accountable. I you know I need to write more, so somebody out there, hold me to account. Our thanks to Michael M. Porfu there for joining us on the pod. Truly insightful stuff. Um, ads. We've got to, we've got to catch up with him for a beer. I need to know more stories of political intrigue and comms. Uh, fascinating stuff. It's so easy to listen to Michael. I think we're definitely going to invite him to the end of season round table, which we'll do towards the, the end of the year. Uh, but we're also uh, continuing to be on the lookout for, for other interesting, insightful and sometimes sweary guests. So if you are interested in coming on the pod, please get in touch with us. And you can visit our website or connect with us on social media to, to, to find out uh, a little bit more about what that means and, and how you could feature on the show and if you enjoy the show then please jump on and give us a, a like or a review or a rating and don't forget to subscribe to ensure that you get the PR Hub podcast delivered uh, to your podcast platform of choice as soon as each episode drops amazing it's almost like you, uh, you you always do the outros but you never do but yes as Adam said uh, you can follow us on Twitter at PR Hub you can follow Adam at Adam Tuckwell and myself at John Wilcox underscore but until next time take care and bye bye
<laughs> that was really fun. That's great. 